Hey everyone, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Paula Finley. I'm Nick Goldston. And on this podcast, we talk a little bit about triathlon. Actually, we talk exclusively about triathlon. And uh, we talk about some of our races. We talk about some questions that you would send in to us. And just for a little backstory, I'm a professional triathlete. Paul is a professional triathlete. Nick is a professional musician. Um, amateur triathlete, pretty good one. And... Uh, that, that's the format. We like talking about stuff and answering your questions. Paula, are we allowed to say how many emails you had to go through this week to get the questions? No. I don't want people to know, you know? It's a, it's a, a staggeringly large amount, though, this yeah. week. Like, I had to leave out probably 50 questions, maybe. Wow. And I still sent Nick, like, 40. Like, it, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Is there some reason for a lot this week, or is it just the new I normal? Think that, I think that it's just getting more popular, and then also the subscription is really, really cool, and all of those emails are also coming into my inbox. So, uh, yeah. again, thank you to everyone who subscribed to the podcast this week. Um, super, super cool for us to see that, and we don't expect it, but we certainly appreciate it, and I think it really picked up steam this past week. The first week we kind of teased it a bit at the end of the podcast and then we like kind of fully released it last week and uh, we are so, so grateful for everyone who signed up for that. So, um, yeah, we won't go too much more into that, but if you want to subscribe, go to thatchannelfoundlife.com slash podcast and help support us a bit. And and stand by for sweet personal messages and exciting gifts. We We sent our first one out. And I think it was awesome. I think it was cool. So I mean, it was not. It was like that's not as that's not as cool as it's going to get. But it's it going to get oh, even cooler. It was gonna just a cooler. little taste. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I was just thinking today. I'm like, I should get to ask you guys questions too. So I have a question for you guys before we really get started. Okay. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I am sure a lot of age group athletes have felt this. As a lot of age groupers, including myself, like. Part of the way we think of ourselves, part of our identity now, is that we are triathletes, competitive triathletes. I use the word competitive as in we race, not as in we are at the front of the pack or whatever. We, I feel like when we take two, three weeks off, I think a little bit of imposter syndrome starts to set in. Where you're like, I tell myself I'm this triathlete, but I haven't been to the pool in two weeks. I haven't put on my bike shoes in two weeks. Like, who am I really? Have you guys ever felt that? Are you like, no, this is my living. Of course, I, this is who I am. I don't have to, I don't feel like I have to prove anything to myself. Mm, I, I don't really feel that in the off season in that way, but that, that does creep in sometimes if you've had like a couple of bad races or just like uh, workouts yeah. aren't going well for a few yep. weeks, because I mean, that that's like how we measure how well we're doing at our jobs and, and everything. But in the off season, it's more like, Oh, I'm, I am so excited about this vacation. Like I'm in Hawaii. Right, 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 <laughs> like right, 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 right. I can definitely wait to go back to work. Right. What about you, Paul? Have you ever um, felt that? Yeah, I, I hear people who like say the word imposter syndrome. I don't fully understand the definition, but I suppose that I sometimes deal with that from like a confidence standpoint. Mm. Like I'm supposed to be one of the best in the world at this. People are expecting me to podium or win or whatever it is. I can't do that. That's crazy. I'm not good enough right. for that. So it's more like, it's not that I have a trouble identifying as a triathlete because I think our lives revolve around it pretty steadily. But um, yeah, sometimes when it comes to just like expectations and dealing with pressure, that can be a factor. But then you just really, really have to go back and just look at your training and um that yep. often helps me to be like, okay, I did this. That gives you the confidence back. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. I, w- I wonder if it's one of those things, like for me, when I buy alcohol now, which is rare, but when I do, I'm still like, oh, they're going to know I'm not 21. 
like they're going to know. I'm like, I've been 21 <laughs> for 11 years now, and still that feeling like lives in my head. So I wonder if it's just one of those things that maybe just doesn't go away for some people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that Nick, are you dealing with that right now since you haven't trained for three weeks? Yeah, oh, very much. Totally. Yeah. I'm just like, I feel, and I think it makes it even more intense when I'm like talking on the podcast with you guys mm-hmm. about triathlon, and a lot of people listen, and I'm like, Man, I, I can't even run right now. Oh, Nick, you're, that makes you relatable. You know how the many gushy emails I'm going to get being like, oh, Nick, stop. You're s- <laughs> that's you're what I'm, so- I'm actually doing this no, on no. purpose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nick, that's stop. Right. You're so People relatable. People are mid-email and just delete, 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 delete. 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 Yeah, delete. <laughs> oh, never mind. Never mind. Um, okay, well, are we done to move on to the, a little segment I have for us here? What's the segment? What's It'll be segment? really fast because we have... A record number of questions I'm, we're going to try to get to today. There were okay, cool. so many good ones. I hated not picking some of the questions. But yeah. um, the segment, we'll do a little this or that. This or that with uh, okay, so first one, what's a more underrated equipment purchase? Good wheels or good tires? Tires. I say tires. I think most people don't think tires are... Don't even think about it until like yeah. maybe the day before the race. Yeah, I told Eric today actually text our tire guy and Sean in Bend and ask him if we can get a fresh pair of tires for Worlds because I feel like that's a race that deserves a fresh pair of tires. Totally. Oh yeah. And everyone knows like oh blingy wheels and they're so there's you see them right. It's like oh yeah. envy or zip. But tires are like what actually touches the road and I feel like the researchers coming out and Eric knows this well and I guess Paul you do too that tires can make a huge yeah. difference. A very large rolling resistance difference. And if you're doing any degree of turning whatsoever, like good tires feel really good and are like much more controllable than a, just a $50 mwah, whatever. So treat yourself. Get new tires. Yeah, treat yourself, folks. Next one is, would you rather your feet be too hot or too cold in a race? Mm, wow, that's really tough. I, I might say too hot because when they're too cold, I find it the numbness is really awkward to run on. It's happened a few times in ITU races when it's like really freezing cold rain and you just feel like you're running on pegs and it's super awkward. I know. It's yeah. like, it feels like there's like something in your shoe or something. It's like yeah. this weird <laughs> feeling. And it's I, my foot. Like yeah. overall. <laughs> that's, my, that's my frozen foot. It's in my yeah. shoe. <laughs> overall, like as a body feeling, I'd rather be cold than hot. But when it comes to like feet, I guess I'd rather be hot than cold. Yeah. 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 Eric, you too? Feet, like people put their feet in hot tubs. It feels nice. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess like when I think of hot feet, I think of where it feels like you're about to get a blister because your the bottoms of your feet are like that hot and on fire, and that's just like man, that's a toss up for me with the club foot coldness. Right. But I don't know. I might go with the cold. Just I might really? go with the cold. I think I think for me it would be cold too, just because I think of the run. I'm going to be hotter, so I know that it's not going to get colder. Whereas when I'm when my feet are hot, I'm like I need to be careful because this could get worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then last one. If, okay, this is kind of a crazy hypothetical, but I was just trying to think of funny things to talk about. Uh, if you couldn't access these things until you actually use them in the race, would you rather trust an amateur to fill up your tires or lace up your running shoes without being able to tell them what you what your preference is? So they just have to go off what they think is right. Running shoes, I think. Yeah, probably running shoes, because if we ask them to pump up our tires, they put them to like 120. 110, yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. Explode. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, hold up. These like are how, how badly can you possibly mess up well, running shoe tight? Some people like their shoes so tight, and some people like their shoes like me. I like to slip. I, I can slip on my running shoes without doing anything to them. Mm. And then I have my friend David. It's like, yeah. Nick, See? that is weird. 
I, otherwise, it hurts my feet. Wow, that's weird. Do you put elastic it, laces on for an Ironman? No, should I? Oh. Well, this question is dumb because yes, every triathlete should. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not a dumb question, but I it would save you valuable seconds in your one hour transitions. You're right. <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. One hour and five minutes, I believe it was. Get you sub one hour with the last places. That's right. <laughs> you went sub one hour in a sprint. No, 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 no. My T two was sub one hour. That's that's what I did. Okay, so right on to the questions. We have a lot of them. Uh, You can submit your questions uh, at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. First question is, Paul, is directed specifically towards you, although I think I'd also like Eric's perspective on this. Coming at you from Bozeman, Montana, I'm looking to lean into triathlon more and wanted to get your take on the best bang-for-your-buck items. This is very related to what we were just talking about, actually. Or in other words, your opinion on what will provide the biggest gains and best experience both in training and racing dollar for dollar. For consideration in no particular order, upgrade from road bike to tri bike. I think he addressed me only because he knows I read them. But I Oh, I see, fair, I see. Okay. Fair game for everyone answering. Okay. Um, so what is the prim- the idea here? Basically, if you're trying yes to no? no, you're trying to maximize the amount of arrow gains or performance gains you get for dollar spent. So oh, he wants your opinion on uh, is it worth it to go from road bike to tri bike? Is that one of the things you would look at improving if you're trying to make the yes. most out of the money? Yes. 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 Okay. If it's an extra thousand dollars for a good TT bike, yes. I it's just like I would even venture to say literally any. TT bike frame that fits you is going to be miles faster than any road bike frame. Yeah. That's great, right? So you don't necessarily have to get the super expensive top-of-the-line TT frame. Anyone is going to get you far as long as it's a good fit for you? Yeah. Yep. Okay, great. Um, then carbon shoes for racing. Yes, worth it, 100%. Eric, you, you're, you're on board with that too? Mm, yeah, I guess, I guess it wouldn't be like my first thing, but important. Probably if you're a fast runner already, then they're yeah. then they're a great pr- upgrade. Yeah. Uh, working with a dietitian, no, meh. That's Not like really. if you're at you've already reached your maximum potential. You're trying to squeeze every ounce. Yeah, and you've already out, got a coach. Yeah, unless yeah. you like really struggle with you know controlling your eating or or yeah, maybe that's what to eat. maybe it's that's not, it. If yeah. it's like really a crux or a a, a hard thing for you, yeah, right. But otherwise, I would say coach would come before that. Uh, personalized training with coach support. Yeah, that's the next one. Yeah, that might be one of the biggest ones. It's just yeah. e- even for your motivation and your health, which is like your health and your body is your your main yeah. tool with the right coach for sure. Um, an at home swim trainer. What's an at home? Not trainer? necessary. One of the vests. Is it what are they called? Vasas. Vasa trainers, where you. Or just lying on a sliding plank, oh, basically. Oh, I've seen those. Yep, got it. We looked into getting one during during COVID, but we didn't. Um, highly unnecessary to have an at-home swim thing. I th- I'd say if you want to do any kind of swim conditioning at home, you could just get a pair of stretch cords, which are like 40 bucks. Yeah. Um, and that's just to kind of fill the gap between days where you can actually get to the pool. But there's nothing that replicates swimming like swimming. Just adding strength workouts into a swim bike run routine. I'd say it's highly individual, that one. And strength coaches one-on-one can be really, really expensive. So I think there's a lot of value into maybe doing an online type of program. Like EC Fit has some really great online that that are affordable because you're kind of like looking at a pre-recorded YouTube video, but you can follow along a program. 
So it's, it is individual, but I think there's some value to it for injury prevention, obviously, and then just overall getting faster and stronger. And you can do a lot of that strength work without spending a dollar. Exactly. You don't need all the equipment. You don't mm. even really need a gym membership sometimes. No, no. A lot of it's body weight is yeah. enough. You know? Yeah. Uh, an aero race helmet. Yeah. That's like one of the most aerodynamically beneficial things, dollar for dollar. I remember reading about that. Yeah, but also like if I could go back in time to Dallas, I don't think I'd wear one. Uh, like I think there's some one? conditions where if it's so hot and the TT helmet is, you know, just making you hotter. Although I was really surprised pretty much every single person in Kona wore a TT full on helmet. Yeah. Also, there's like a lot of, I'm sure you guys have seen all the studies that are like the visor seems like it would be so much faster than sunglasses, but it's not that much faster. Sometimes it's not faster at all. Yeah. Sometimes I've heard yeah. both. I've heard both ways. Yeah, it's just surprising. You wouldn't think. You would think it's just like, yeah, of course, the visor's like right. this perfectly smooth surface is going to be faster. Definitely. I mean, it's like everything with aero testing. It's person specific and helmet yeah. specific, and and then the last one is other. So what I don't see on here, for example, is like your kit. I just I think power meter. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think I think that the ideal setup here is like an old TT bike. Not that's like that's eleven speed. Get like the oldest eleven speed TT bike that you can get. Probably going to have mechanical shifting on it, but if you can get like Ultegra Di two, great. And then buy some like old race wheels. You might have to go tubular and just like suck it up and deal with that. I highly disagree. If if I'm just going, if we're just going for like the like the cheapest possible, fastest stuff, like I would do that, and then get yourself like an aero helmet. Do a coach, get, have a power meter, and like you could win a lot of stuff. You could win a lot of stuff for the low cost of ten thousand dollars. Wait a second, I have a question. This is this is probably so dumb. Can you do tubular tubeless? No, those are two different. Those are two different things. Tubular is one thing. Tubeless is one thing. Right, but I'm just thinking, like, could you put sealant in a tubular tire? <laughs> yeah, and then just like run. Like, would they yep. seal? Yeah, they would seal, right? Yeah, people have done it for sure. I think I think I saw Tim Reed do that. Wow. Years funny. ago. That's funny. Well, thank you for those, Garrett. Hopefully that helped you a little bit. Um, my parents are both from Alberta. I uh, love going up there to visit family. So there you go. So we got some cool. hometown, home, some hometown love. Next question uh, this is from Jason, a fellow Pacific Northwesterner. Eric and company, I'm exploring getting a trailer to travel to races rather than always going to a hotel slash B&B, pronounced hotel slash B&B. Yes, thank you. Um, have you... Manage to find places to park your amazing van. Have you had issues with camping in it? Any tips would be greatly appreciated. So maybe the question is, how do you find places to park? We haven't, uh, we haven't done any races where we're actually in the van on race night. Eric has, but maybe not both of you. No, Eric, I don't know. Oh, maybe for an exterior or something. But yeah. he, whenever we drive to a race in the van, we usually get a hotel for race night just because it's okay. not more comfortable. Okay. Um, it, it is possible. But uh, it, the, the struggle with a lot of races is that they are kind of more in cities. So, like, the risk of it is is I think you could definitely find some on-street parking somewhere that was, like, kind of dark and more of an industrial area where it's just – it's not in front of somebody's house who's going to call yeah. the cops. But you're, just, you're running the risk of, of the cops coming by and knocking on your door at 2 a.m. anyway. Which was a nightmare. So, so for, like, night before the race – um, I would look at a campground or just get a hotel room for that night. Um, but like, there's some apps out there. There's like freecampsites.com or .org. And Outland. iOverlander. iOverlander, yeah. Um, that have some kind of like crowdsourced, I parked here, it was okay, um, sort of things out there. So. And there's there's now, I, I don't know if you ever use these, and I would imagine if I had a van, I would not. But now there's a lot of people who put their 
like driveway or something up on a site and you pay them a certain amount of money for the night. And so you're yeah. at least guaranteed that no one's going to bother you. Yeah. But yeah. it just seems like if you have a van, it's nice to not have to spend the money. Yeah. I mean, it still could be, I don't know, I haven't looked at those, but hotel rooms now are like super terrible, awful hotel room in the armpit of the city for like $270 yeah, a night. Exactly. So exactly. It's, it's savage. <laughs> Um, okay, next question is from Andrew. Hey, Eric, Paul, and Nick, and Flynn. In Lionel's Kona post-mortem, I love that, uh, video, he briefly talked about how he doesn't feel like he let anyone down or disappointed his followers with his Kona result. I'm curious to hear how you all perceive the support from your growing fan base. Does having a large fan base motivate you to perform your best? Does it burden you thinking you have to perform for your fans, or does it not even come across your mind when racing? Thank you for answering my question. I love all the content you all put in, and good luck with the rest of the season. Andrew. Um, for me anyway, like I don't really think of it in terms of letting people down, but like Santa Cruz, for example, in my mind, it sounded super epic to like drive the van down there and sleep in it and like win Santa Cruz. So like I got excited about like the positive side of it, but I, I don't know, fortunately don't typically think of like, oh, people are going to be disappointed. Um, but also I, I don't think, I don't perceive that a lot of people out there are like, oh, well, Eric should win frequently and always you know i feel like the expectation might be a little bit lower um than for paula for example or for lionel i'll just use lionel as an example right no i don't feel like having like our vlog audience or our podcast audience or ttl supporters adds any pressure to me i think that it just adds excitement when you actually do well and then additional support when you don't do well because i think everyone like nick you did a whole podcast about your result in uh, at the Ironman and the outpouring of support was like outrageous. So I think it helped me so much. Yeah. For better or for worse, if your race goes poorly or if it goes well, you have this entire network of people that are behind you. And I think they are kind of like riding the highs and lows with us because everyone can relate to that, you know? Yep. Everyone's had good races. Everyone's had bad races. And ultimately no one's expecting us to go and win every race we do. That's not realistic. It's not possible. So it's not, in my mind, an additional factor. And I think Lionel also like alluded a bit to the people that are negative or the haters in his comments. And he gets way, way more comments and like interaction than we do. So we don't deal with that really as much. But I liked how he he just said he doesn't read it and he doesn't care. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously he loves the support and appreciates it, but doesn't let the negativity or the, you know, outside experts get to his head, which is which is kind of how I think of it too. I usually do read the comments and I delete the bad ones just because I don't want Eric to see them or like I just don't think they deserve to live on the comment board. But <laughs> there's not a lot of negativity, so we're pretty. There's not a lot. Way. Even the ones that are negative, I feel like sometimes I can tell that people didn't intend them necessarily to be negative. Yeah, Nick. I yeah. no, but you've never seen the negative ones. Or, I delete no, them. Really? More often, it's just somebody who like came across our video for the first yeah, time. Yeah, they like, don't even. Who are know. these two super grumpy? people who are doing the thing that I want to do for a living. Right. It's like, <laughs> right, right, okay. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's, it's our job, you know, whatever it's, right. or, or they just to like really fully understand any TV show or anything. You kind of have to have a, an idea of who the characters are and what their personalities totally. are. And if you totally. just walk in in the middle, you'd be like, this freaking Kramer guy is, yeah. well, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Psycho, you, yeah. This, this Seinfeld guy is so sarcastic, I can't stand it. Right, like, no, right. that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's bad at all. No, yeah. I would say, if anything, it's more like the opposite of where we kind of feel like because of what we've, because of the following or, you know, the community and, and the YouTube and everything, it's like, 
and what you experience with with your race like if this does go poorly this isn't like the end all be all and the only time that we have an opportunity exactly. to be like to like do something notable is is with the res- result and if we mess it up it's like that was it you know that's the way things were 10 years ago when it was just magazines like if you didn't get a big result that was your only chance um so i, I wonder if to a smaller <laughs> degree strava has given that to amateurs is like I don't have to do that well on, my, on this race because I know that my friends have seen my training for the past four months and they see that I put in the time. It's not like I just didn't show up on race day. I tried. It's just you know I didn't have the legs or whatever. Maybe, but for mm-hmm. me, I also I have the same same feeling as you guys. Like obviously to a much lesser degree, but it makes the bad times better and makes the good times better to yeah. have like the, mm-hmm. this community for sure. Um, next question, uh, John from Pittsburgh. Hi, Paula, Eric, Nick. Uh, I live in a city and am new to road biking, still getting a feel for all things that come with it. Aside from a trainer, which is on the way, how can I develop a better handle on my bike instead of going on these crazy traffic-filled rides my cyclist friends seem to have no issue with? I end up feeling more stressed after a ride with them than when I started. Thanks for all you do, John. (laughs) Wow, so relatable. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I hate traffic. I hate cars. I have this huge fear of it. And I, it like cripples me with fear. I hate riding on our bachelor highway that goes up to the ski hill on the way down because there's cars like flying past you. And it scares me so much. So and I don't I, have an answer for this other than ride the trainer that's on the way. And I do feel like, I do feel like when Paula and I ride together, it almost like freaks her out more because she's like, it doesn't bother me. And I, I don't know. And it's like, Reinfor- makes her think like, oh, I'm doing poorly at this because Eric's doing. Oh yeah, for sure it does. Giving no, like not like caring. I was going down Bachelor up in my bars, and Eric flies past me in his arrow and like in the arrow position, and I'm like, that is so fucking dangerous. Sweet Eric, it was how not fast dangerous. were you? Go- Wait, weren't you going really fast? Though, and then Eric? he says it's not dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. No matter how you put it, riding down a hill head first with no brakes in a TT bar position. Is dangerous. The way but, I see but it, it's the, dangerous the closer without that traffic. The closer right. that I'm going to the speed of the cars, the less the impact is going to be. You know. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but then what happens when you're rolling down the highway at 50 miles an hour? I don't know. Another it's just thing, like, like if you're going 40k an hour and you hit the deck, and if you're going 60, it's like it's whatever. Like at 40, you might bounce. 60, you're definitely sliding. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's God. true. That's true. The other thing is like it definitely gets to my head more. Like it's in everyone's personality, like their tolerance for that kind of stuff. So. Your friends who aren't as nervous about it probably have more experience with it or just their threshold is totally different than yours. And I don't think it's necessarily something you have to change. Like if you're nervous around cars, that's okay. And it means you're going to be extra cautious and probably never get in a car incident. So knock on wood. Or you could be a super rad mountain biker and never deal with cars. That was going to be my next thing. Like if gravel riding is at all an option, I've been doing that on every ride where I'm not on my TT bike. I'll go on my gravel bike on the trails or on the um, gravel roads. Another nice tool. We're not sponsored by Garmin, but um, they do have a light that beeps at you if there's a car coming. So maybe if you're on like more rural roads where cars are a little more sporadic, but when they do come, they're coming fast that gives me a little confidence because I see it coming and actually it works. It's compatible with Wahoo. So you can see it on your screen, the car approaching Oh, and then you can move over yeah. when it's approaching. The, 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 on, the entire point of this is yeah. if you want to ride more in the middle of the road, but then get out of the road when cars come versus just always riding really close to the shoulder. So. It's not even that. It's like if I'm bombing down Bachelor and I know there's no cars behind me, I'm way more confident. Oh, if I know a car is coming and it's going really fast and it's a big truck... 
I can be more prepared for that coming. I get that. But like, but but what? Then what? Like, if a truck is going to hit you from behind, oh my god! You're dead. Okay, next it doesn't question. Doesn't matter if the thing no, beeped. No. Well, here's where my here's, argument. No, but knowing it's coming, then you know you're dying. But, no. but we're not. But Eric, we're not talking about you. We're talking about people who are, let's say, irrationally scared of cars. Thank you. So instead like of every second being you, like, Nick. "Is there a car? Is there a car? Is there a car? Is there a car?" You just look down and be like, "No, I can be exactly. calm for the next three seconds." Okay, exactly. That, that makes sense. Thank you, Nick. Wow, this is getting heated. If you if you have to ride inside, ride the rollers. Don't ride the trainer. That'll give you. That'll at least help you like maintain your balance. Okay. Oh my gosh. Why, why can I not add that? That's like totally... No, rollers are a good tool, but not exclusively. I think the trainer also makes you super strong. And the other thing about it We're is... We're talking about how to get like more comfortable with bike handling. Okay, but also, if you are in going and doing a triathlon, most of the time, it's a lot less fear of cars because the roads are like fenced off. You're, or you're a great example of that, Paula, right? Yeah. Like in a race, you have none of that fear anymore. Yeah. And you're going fast down descents. And when there's something on the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, okay, well, let's move on to the next question before uh, <laughs> we, we come to physical blows here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> next question. Hi, all. Question more specifically for Paula. Odd question, so I totally understand if this is too personal to answer. Um, as a female coming into the sport in my 30s, I'm constantly worried about how to balance working, possibly becoming a mom, not one yet, and keeping triathlons as a priority. How do most pro women triathletes balance being a mom and a professional athlete? Chelsea Sodaro is an amazing example of this, and Jackie, Jackie Herring. Uh, but is it hard to imagine giving up a whole year of peak training to be pregnant? Would love another female's thoughts on this, as well as what you have heard from pros mom, from pro moms. First of all, do you have to give up a whole year of peak training? Uh, probably. I feel like I'm seeing like Gwen and Chelsea that were training well into pregnancy and oh, started yeah. training again pretty soon after they gave birth. Yeah, but I think just afterwards, it's a big question mark how you're going to bounce back and how quickly. I see. Okay. But you for sure can get back into training, you know, within maybe a month. I'm not really sure. But it's for sure a scary, deterring thought to imagine. I would say it probably takes you up for at least one race season. Like it's Mm going to be really Mm -hmm. hard to hit April or October on the other end when you're pregnant having a baby. So. I think the PTO maternity leave policy helps with that a lot. It basically freezes your ranking and pays you what your salary would be with that ranking for the previous year or for the following year. Um, That's mostly only useful if you're kind of ranked highly, though, because obviously if you're ranked lower, the amount you're going to get isn't going to make you feel secure for a whole year. But it's something. This person is not a pro, correct? Or are they? No. Okay. It's for sure something I think about. Erica and I are like... We think we want kids, but we're also not married yet. <laughs> also, also, you have a dog that <laughs> takes dog up that a is. huge amount of energy as it is. Well, it's a little snapshot of what having a kid would no, be like. No, the last vlog or the last podcast when we were complaining about Flynn, I had a few kid, friends with kids who were like, you have no idea. I forget I have a dog now that I have a kid. It's so, right. so much different. So um, I think that the biggest thing is once you have the baby to be able to have help with it. And if you live near a family or you have friends that can support you or you have the financial ability to hire a nanny while you're training or something, then it's really doable. And we've seen Chelsea just win Ironman World Championships with an insanely supportive family. And it has not been easy for her. I know that. But she has made it work. Rini's made it work. Uh, A lot of pro athletes have. So that's inspiring for me to see. As an athlete of that age who should probably have a kid soon if I want to have a kid. (laughs) I wonder if part of being a successful mom 
a new mom is having a partner that's willing to do a lot of the the yeah. child duties. And that seems like we live in a time where that's more and more the case. For sure. And I think I think Chelsea's husband is a firefighter. He works two days on, four days off or something like that. So there's a little more flexibility for him to take Sky on the days off. But obviously Eric's also a professional athlete. And right. <laughs> while I'm not racing, he will be racing. And then we do have this additional um, kind of job with the YouTube and the TTL stuff. So. Yeah, I personally cannot at all imagine having a child while trying to be a professional triathlete. I would just want to retire and and make sure that I like did did the child rearing completely myself and you know, versus like handing it off to a nanny. That's just kinda like would well, be my desire. It's not like every single second the nanny's raising the kid. No, I know. I'm just that's just like as professional triathletes, we do have fairly flexible days. So I think that it's Maybe more doable is, than someone's working eight to five every day. You, the problem is you can't tell the kid like, hey, can you actually throw a fit later? We have to go swim at the pool right now. You know, <laughs> it's sure. like, we'll have four hours later. You can cry later. Just right yeah. now we need this. Like, that's why it's hard. I was thinking of Chelsea. I'm like, oh, she's waking up to go to swim at the pool. But if her husband's at work, it's like, okay, well, I can't leave the kid here or whatever. Right, that's right, why right. I feel like that balance probably needs to be somehow made. Yeah. Well, my parents were just visiting and they now want to buy a house in Bend. So maybe, um, Oh, perfect. My mom can raise the kid. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The next tier of professional Finley triathletes. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Uh, I currently have a shoulder injury that's preventing me from swimming and it's killing me. I've been told the rest will do the trick, but it's hard for me. My question is, is there any benefit to getting into the pool doing one arm drills, kickboard, et cetera, not asking you to comment on recovery from an injury, more asking if doing one-arm drills will be good for the next four weeks, or will it hurt me in the long run, and if I should just continue to bike slash run until the shoulder is healed. Just want to get in the pool regardless because I feel like I'm losing ground on training. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's so silly to to go in and like be doing one-arm drills the whole time. I feel like oh, that really? time would be better spent on like biking more or uh, running more. That's my thought as well. Like it, one arm swimming is not two arm swimming. I think there's, I was going to say the opposite. I think really? there's something to keeping your feel for the water. Even if it's one arm, your brain doesn't necessarily know that. I was, I fractured my shoulder one time crashing on my mountain bike actually. <laughs> right, bro. That's super cool. Wow. <laughs> Shredded. The reason I crashed is because I was riding my mountain bike on pavement and I was like oh, I ripping the corner and I slid out because whatever, guess pavement doesn't grip as well as mine. Eric, did you not know this story? No. Wow. So I went to the pool and did a lot of single arm swimming with the other arm down and I, I got my swimming back super fast after it was healed. I think the kicking, the body position... The awareness of the water, all of that, sculling with one hand. I mean, don't do it five times a week, but going a right. one or two times a week while you're in this recovery process is really good. Okay, okay, yes, I agree with that. I was basically, my brain went to like, oh, I'm just going to go do the swims normally, but, you know, like just swim with one arm. And no. It seems like that could open up a whole host of new problems. Right. For sure. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm also just thinking of how much I hate, not hate, but like how much mental convincing it takes for me to get to the pool. And now you're telling me that I'm going to go there and just swim with one arm. Like, <laughs> oh, no, no like, that's not happening. Every day of my life, I pray for a swim injury and it's always yeah. a run injury. You that's know? right. Like, that's right. oh, I can't go swimming for two months. Oh, shucks. Darn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one approach to this is just enjoy your time out of the water, but not everyone hates swimming as much as we do. It sounds like but they don't hate swimming. Yeah. It sounds like they kind of like it. it. 
It's just a thing to go yeah. and get in the pool and, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. jumping but in like, the water. Try flippers with one arm. I think that's a really good tool because mm. when you're swimming with one arm, you're going to be going so slow. It's going to feel really awkward. So if you can keep some consistency with your kick, you're actually going to be moving forward while doing the single arm. Um, and then on the flip side of that, also wearing a pull boy with single arm and maybe one paddle uh, might feel a bit less yeah. awkward because it's really hard to get your kick timing right when you're like off balance with the single arm thing. So... But yeah, go and do a kick set or go and do a... The fins, swimming with the fins, I just started doing it recently. I was surprised at how much it helped me get like a whatever feel for the water of like how to kick better. So yeah, yeah. that's probably good. Probably good to do that. Yeah, totally. Cool. Um, next question from Becca. Uh, hi there. I'm racing 70.3 Worlds in a couple of weeks and currently live in Florida. So it's hot and humid plus hot all the time. God, <laughs> hot and humid plus hot all the time. Love that. From what I saw on the weather app, for average temps, the average low can be in the 40s in St. George towards the end of October. Got any recommendations on how to stay warm coming out of the potentially cold swim in the AM without getting too hot towards the end of the bike? Looking forward to meeting y'all out there soon. Best, Becca. I mean, my, my first thinking thought with this is just like, don't get cold in the first place at all. So like, put on your wetsuit and like, 20 minutes before the swim and like jog around in a little bit, just make sure that you're like almost sweaty in your wetsuit. And that is like starting the whole thing off on the right foot. And I think that'll like alleviate a lot of issues further down the line. I think the thing about St. George is it's going to start out very cold in the morning. And then when the sun comes up and as you're on the bike and run, it'll actually heat up to a pretty comfortable temperature. So hopefully it won't be like your Ironman, Nick, where it's just raining all day and you never really get that warming up effect throughout the day with the sunshine. Um, Crossing our fingers, it doesn't actually rain, but it looks like it's been pretty sunny every day. So like Eric said, if you can be warm before the start, usually I don't even think about it in this kind of temperature because you're getting on the bike, going hard. The race is not an Ironman. It's... You know, yeah. you're not out there all day, and that's have, gonna... have a good jacket before the race. Have tights on, and then if you're like really concerned about it, you can put put some arm warmers in T1, like mm-hmm. pull those on when you get on the bike. But a big positive, if you haven't done St. George, is that it starts with like a 10 minute climb. Yeah, it's a big climb to get out of Sand Hollow there, so you should be warm. Dry, dry and warm. Dry and warm up. by yeah. the time yeah. you're getting on your bike. But like Nick, you experienced, I mean, she's coming from Florida, so she's not super acclimatized to any kind of cold, which we kind of are because we live in Oregon. Yeah, that's true. So um, like you experienced, Nick, if it's worth it for you to take an extra few minutes to put a jacket on that you maybe don't oh. mind chucking on the side of the road later, it would be worth it. Yeah. I do think, I can't imagine that they'll actually be cold on the bike I think they'll just get warmer and warmer, though, even if you're not acclimatized to it. Unless it's a really cold day, which I guess it could be. Yeah, bring bring a vest, bring some armors, bring a lightweight jacket, just in case. Next question is from Gordon. Hi, my wife and I are huge fans and love everything you do. I've got a couple questions for you. One, how do you keep all your bottles organized in your house? Do you have a drawer, a cupboard dedicated? It's something we struggle with as there seems to always be bottles everywhere and they never fit well in spaces. I know the answer to this question, but I'll let you guys go for it. How do you know, Nick? Because I've seen that drawer of heaven with all the Paula Finley bottles in there. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, so I recently reorganized our bottle situation because they used to just be like in a drawer and they wouldn't all fit. But we have this kind of awkward cupboard with two slide-out drawers that are pretty wide. They're kind of like double wide. And I basically took the top slider drawer and layered it with bottles. And you can do like triple layers almost because it's so deep and tall and slides out so you can find the bottle you want. 
I mean, we just happened to have a cupboard when we moved in that was like that, so it was really convenient. But <clears throat> I've seen on, I almost bought on Amazon these like water bottle stackers that you can put into a regular cupboard, and then you can oh. have like, you know, three layers of bottles just kind of stuck in those. I'm an organization fanatic, so I really get into this kind of stuff. <laughs> Eric just made eye contact with me when she said that. <laughs> Not intentionally. No, just because I, I have nothing to contribute except for I appreciate the bottles being so organized. Yeah, because it was a it was a source of stress for me because they'd come out of the washing dra- washing thing and I'd be like, oh my god, there's no room for these. Like, Eric, can you use one right now because this can't sit on the counter. <laughs> right. And there'd be dirty bottles in the yeah. garage. And well, how I, many bottles do you have at your disposal right now in the house? Well, probably, we'll just say we have like twenty in rotation. Including like shaker bottles for smoothies and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm only counting bottles that fit in a bottle cage. Okay, maybe like 16. That's a lot, but it is still a lot. Like we really only need like five. Yeah, know? I really think it's either yeah. you cut down the total number of bottles you have in rotation, or you just dedicate a huge amount of space. That's a good tip, though, Eric. Like, go through your bottles and throw out old ones and buy yeah. some new TTL you, ones. You, yeah. <laughs> that's right. They get moldy. You've said that before. It's like you don't keep those forever, especially if you're putting nutrition in them. Yeah, they get really yucky. Specialized sent me like 200 Paula Finley bottles. I know. I have two <laughs> so, of them. Those are the ones, those are my go tos. So, as soon as they get like moldy or yucky, I don't really have any hesitation yeah. to throw them if, out. If, which... if you're like, if you're really struggling with the idea of throwing out water bottles, take take those ones that you want to get rid of and use those at the race and chuck those at the aid station. So at least uh, they went out in a blaze of glory. That's, I love that. Going out in a blaze of glory. That's great. <laughs> that's great. His next question was, what do you do with your old bike computers and watches when you get upgrades? Sell them? Give them away? Can I buy one? Thank you and can't wait for more TTL gear. Well, first of all, I get the scraps. Yeah, we give them to Nick. <laughs> like, first priority is our friends. We give them to our friends. Right. And it's not like we have, like, dozens of these. Like, we just got new Wahoos because uh, Wahoo came out with a new rival. So we have perfectly good rivals that now we don't have use for. So we prefer to donate them to our friends. Um but we guess family. I guess we could sell them. Yeah, friends and families are number one. You should one. sell them for more than their uh, the more than the market price. No, it's like it's like getting a signed baseball. Yeah, ultimately with like a lot of the gear we have that you could sell it for a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks, but if you can give it to someone who truly needs it and who will use it, that brings me more joy than you oh, know that's nice. giving it to someone for a hundred dollars. So yeah, that said, if this person wants to send us five hundred bucks, we'll send him an autographed Rome. Brand yeah. new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the Not sticker. Not brand new, used. Yeah, yeah it'll come heavily, with a sticker. Heavily used. And I'll throw in a specialized water bottle. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, with with your name on it. Exactly. <laughs> Priceless. Um, okay, well, great. Thank you, guys. Uh, Gordon, thanks for the question. Next question is from Clay. Hi, TTL. Love the pod. Can't wait for Thursdays each week. I just finished my first triathlon this year at Ironman Mont-Tremblant and really appreciate you guys sharing some of your experiences and knowledge with us. My question here is for Paula. I'm looking into a lever system for my treadmill. Wondering if you could touch on your experience with the product and the team's opinion on it, if it would be useful. Do you think it would be good for age groupers to build speed slash add volume, or is it mostly just for injury recovery? Thanks a lot, Clay. No, I think the the main marketing goal of Lever lately is to appeal to people that are not only injured, but making it known that it's a tool that you can use when you're perfectly healthy and just want to, like you said, increase your speed or increase your mileage. And my experience with the Lever, I've used it mostly when I'm injured because 
I much prefer to run outside and I use it a little bit to offload if I'm really tired, but the main usage of it for me was to take a load off while coming back from a stress fracture. Um, but I've tried Ultra G trainers, I've tried the elliptical, I've tried lots of things, and I can honestly truly say the lever feels like a, a very natural it doesn't compromise your run form that much, but it does take load off. Like it really, truly works and it is more comfortable and smooth than it might look or than you might think it would feel. Um, and I would a hundred percent recommend anyone to get one. It's a lot cheaper than the other options too. Yeah. Yeah. It is like going to an ultra G at a physio clinic could cost 70 bucks a run or more. Um, the lever is like, you'll always have it. And if you have a treadmill at your house anyway, it's a super quick setup. This is not a sponsor plug. I truly love the company. I think it they really it really really does work. And anyone who's ever asked me, I have said, get one, try one. They actually have a rental thing where you can like rent one for a bit. Oh, that's smart. And then maybe at the end of that, you can buy it. But if you want to try it, that's one way to do it. Eric, have you ever used it? Um, <clears throat> no, I haven't. But I've used um, what Altergies plenty of times. So. Like, in my mind, it sounds great, like, to get on it and, like, do some extra speed work or whatever, but um, I think I would want to, like, consult with my coach or just, like, at least really kind of plan out. So, like, every Friday I'm going to do yeah. this and I'm going to start at whatever, 50% of my body weight, and that's way too little, but, like, 80% of my body weight and over the course of an hour I'm going to work down to zero, you know, like, full mm. regular body weight and just kind of, like, have a little bit of, like, a plan built out for that. Well, where I think it really comes in is if you're training for Ironman. Like, yeah. we're not doing such absurd mileage on the run that we're like, oh, this run I really need to, right. you know, take 80%, only run at 80% body weight. But if I were to start training for an Ironman, or if Eric was to start training for an Ironman and our mileage was suddenly bumped up by a little bit, that might take some gradual getting used to. So for maybe an age group athlete who's training for their first Ironman, it could be a good tool to implement to um, help ease yourself into that kind of load that you need to do an Ironman, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting thought. It's like, especially for people who are just injury prone, even if you're not necessarily injured at the moment, mm -hmm. like you said, just like taking some of the weight off. It's, yeah. It's an attractive uh, yeah. idea. I think Lever actually sponsors the Pro Tri News podcast sometimes. They do, they have, this is yeah. a purely free plug. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Lever, if you're listening, we will take your money. So. Maybe, maybe we should you use it on the Nick on the Nick Test dummy, and like going into next season, you're gonna do. We're gonna go with the like you just run at five minutes per mile with the lever until you happens. can't anymore. Yeah, twice a week, and then we'll see how fast you run a five k. I love yeah. that. I love that. <laughs> I got to get my 5K under, I want it under 18 minutes. So that's the lever. If you want to sponsor Nick's 5K experience to 18 minutes. Uh, What's your current just, 5K? Uh, like just under 19. Well, mm. I don't know. That was years ago. So I haven't done it. Maybe it's faster now. All right. So we need to get a baseline first. And then yeah. we'll establish like a really big goal and try to just set the lever at that pace. Okay. I love that. And, and we'll I love it. that. <laughs> that's great. That's but the, great. the catch is you have to move here because we have the lever and we have that's the treadmill. Okay. I see what's happening here. Lever I camp. understand. Yeah. <laughs> Camp. <laughs> We're gonna do the same thing with the master spot. We're just gonna set it at one minute per hundred and hang on. Does it go to one minute per hundred? Yeah, theoretically. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's it feels more like 105. Okay. I can't do 105 but, for more than like I don't even know if I can do it. Well, like, that's what we're put at maximum speed and like, Oh yeah, when I did the all out fifty meters at in Bend, wasn't it like thirty six seconds or something? 
You yeah. time me. Yeah, yeah. so I yeah. means I cannot do 105. Yeah. That's long course <laughs> meters, though, everyone. That was- oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I think it would be fun. We've talked about this privately. If at some point, maybe next year, beginning of next year, I come up, I just try to follow you guys around and try to do, <laughs> try to see how long I can hang on for workouts and slowly become a, an elite age grouper. It's up to you, man. Just You just say when. Great. We're, we're ready anytime. Great. Okay, next question. Hey, guys, I recently came across a new tri bike that I was thinking about buying, but a friend who knows much more about bikes than I do advised me not to buy it because the group set was, quote, pretty weak. It was, <laughs> it was Shimano 105, which I know is on the cheaper end, but is there really a difference in group sets for age groupers like me? Wondering if you all can touch on the group sets in general. What makes one better than the other? And what is something I should be looking at for my limited budget? Thanks, Jenna. I don't think we've talked about group sets before on Not the podcast. Really, mm-hmm. No. And it's interesting because I think SRAM Red and SRAM Force, I mean, yeah, we're going to ride SRAM Red because we're doing this for a job, but SRAM totally. Force is perfectly good. It's like I would any day get that over SRAM Red if I was an age group <laughs> athlete doing it more recreationally. It's not even that much worse. Maybe it's heavier. What's the difference? But it's much more expensive. It's, it's fractionally heavier. SRAM Force. Yeah. 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 But also much more cheaper. Mm, yeah. Much, much, <laughs> much cheaper. That's what's crazy. Like, I'll, I'll talk about from the Shimano side of things. Like, 105 is so good now. And the, the problem is, like, the question is, how old is this bike? Because yeah. it used to be that 105 was like, didn't have integrated cables and like wasn't even hydraulic brakes. Like now that's, it's like so nice. Like the 105 is as good as like the Durace from a well, while basically, ago. Basically, exactly. That's the way it is. Durace of right now will be 105 in three years. It'll be Ultegra in, in two years. It's just like this constant cycle of things trickling down. So it's really like 105 is, yeah, going to be heavier than Durace by a bit, but it. It's going to last a long time. I like what you were saying, Paul. Like if you if you're sponsored, of course you're going to ride the best of the best. And if you have the money and you want the best of the best, freaking go for it. Like get all the best of the best stuff. Yeah, I think it's like taking all of the parts in your car engine and like swapping them out for titanium parts. Like, okay, so your car is now a hundred pounds lighter and it's like a little faster and it will beat the other car. But like by such a tiny amount, can you feel it? No, you know, right. it's but you know it's there and it's cool. Yeah, another so SRAM came out with the rival ETAP axis, which is a little bit more entry level, but it is completely like a wireless oh, ETAP yeah. system, which is really cool. And it's, you know, comparable to the red and the force in that it has no cables, no housing, no wires to manage. And it comes with a power meter if you want it to. And the cork power meter on it is only $250 extra on top of the price of the Whoa, group set. Oh, that's so, great. Super good way to get a power meter incorporated into your crank. Um, a two by with a power meter is sixteen hundred dollars. A one by with a power meter is fourteen hundred. So, I mean, when you're talking about group sets, that is super affordable for for the complete group. Yeah, including the batteries, the charger, the brake rotors, and the bottom bracket. That's like basically free. That's insane. Okay, it's not basic. It's not. No, free. I mean like a freaking Dura Ace or a SRAM Red ETAP group set is like four grand. It's yeah. That's. So SRAM made this push last year. Rival is like 105. Go buy it. Okay, got it. But I would get that on every bike if I was an age group athlete. Like it's, or if I had a gravel bike and I just wanted like something good to put on it that wasn't going to totally blow my budget, this would be a good pick. And we didn't get this and try it and ride it because we're riding red. But um, when SRAM came out with it last year, I was like, wow, this is really cool to actually be able to have an 
an electric shifting bike. My dad actually rode Eric's bike this weekend. The oh yeah, with ETAP for the first time he's ever tried electric shifting. He's it like, it's a game mind? changer. I'm yeah. never going back. <laughs> That's great. That's so for someone great. like him, Rival would be amazing. You know, it's like yeah. the same mm-hmm. feeling of pushing a button, having it shift, all wireless, and then. Um, not paying an insane amount of money. Can you guys enlighten me on this? If you're a pro tour cyclist, does every component on your bike have to be available to the public or is it just the frame? Mm, I don't know. Be- because I feel like I've seen Tour, Tour de France specific tires or whatever, or like someone riding something. Because I'm wondering, some, like, does your group set have to be? The helmet, your helmet does. We learned that from Specialized. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's kind of interesting because you definitely see prototype stuff that isn't available yet, but that... Right. 100% will be coming. Will I don't be, know where yeah. like, the line is drawn with that, you know? Okay. Yeah, I have a little table here, like a cheat sheet, and basically it goes Rival Force Red. 1400 2000 2, So $1,000 less for Rival there than Red. Go. And the weight of the complete thing is 2,700 grams, 2,600 grams, and 2,200 grams. So for, Red is significantly lighter, but not to the point where it's going to make or break your race. Especially as triathletes. It seems like it's yeah. even yeah. less of a big deal. Wow, I'm getting so into this. This is a great article. <laughs> I mean, I know all this off the top of my head, but I'm just confirming. <laughs> right, right, of course. <laughs> um, okay, great. Oh my God, one, two, three. Oh, we have so many questions left and we are already well, at we almost just, an hour. Can we go a little faster then? Yeah, let's go. We're going real fast. Um, uh, with getting new gear consistently, do you have any sentimental triathlon items that you've kept around? I like this question because we do have so much new stuff. And, you know, we're not going to get sentimental to a bike computer or a watch necessarily, but things like bike frames, yes. Oh, yeah. Especially if they have, like, custom paint or something like that. The bike I won Daytona on, I haven't sold that. I still have it in in the garage. Um, I don't really have anything. I can't think of anything. I get sentimental about everything, about like a wrapper to a a gel that I used in a race that went well. I'm like, should I really throw this out? I'm like, I think I'm a hoarder secretly in my mind. I'm I'm a little like superstitious about throwing race numbers out. Like, you know, if you get home from a shitty race, you're like, throw this thing out. I never want to see this number again. But after a good race, you're like, oh, I'll just tape this to the wall. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Put it on the fridge. Um, so, so okay. In the interest of moving quickly, we're going to move on. Uh, next question is from David. Hi, guys. I'm an Irishman selling burritos in Spain. I started sell- listening to the podcast, and it's really been helping me through my post-Ironman blues, and I'm binge listening to them. I just completed Ironman Barcelona in 11.35.40. I'm wow. disappointed as I wanted to go under 11 hours, but bad stomach cramping on the run and couldn't take any nutrition for about 15K. But it just made me more determined to do it next year. My question is, when you talk about race pace training sessions, I feel my steady training rides are my race pace. I average 162 watts on my six-hour ride, so should be doing under this on training rides, which I feel is too slow. Or should my race pace be harder? But if I push harder, I'm worried about not having enough left for the run. Hope that makes sense. Loving the pod, and if you're ever in Spain, I'll hook you up with some free burritos, David. So do you understand the question? Yeah, but I love the burrito offer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want a burrito God. now. It's really hard with this because a lot of the time your race power, especially in an Ironman, shouldn't necessarily be the benchmark for your training because race watts are so all over the place. They're dependent on conditions. They're dependent on hills. They're dependent on how you felt on the day, if there's lots of drafting. So I feel like a more 
um, maybe accurate baseline test for like what your FTP would be and basing your, basing your training off that would be like to do a ramp test or do some kind of a power test instead of just taking your Ironman watts from a race you weren't particularly happy with and then basing your training off of that. Um, it does give you some indication, but I would agree the 162 watts is it'll feel too easy if you're going like 150 in training, yeah, you know? Yeah, right, right. So I think that this is one of those situations where you you have to train a little bit above what your watts were in the race in the hopes of bumping that that number up when you do race. Um, yeah, Ironman's a funny... We can't speak to it super intelligently because we've never done an Ironman. Yeah, and, and like I, I feel like the energy zone maybe that, that pro athletes race an Ironman is in is slightly different than what yeah. different. completing a, a 12-hour totally. Ironman is. It's like, that's like four extra hours. But yeah. I think it's, it's even more than that. Like if, for example, even 70.3, you guys compared to me. Like mm. for 70.3, there is, up until recently, all my training runs, even my easy long runs, were done at faster paces than what my run would end up being in the race. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's the opposite for you guys. You're rarely ever going faster than how you actually, how fast you run at the end of a 70.3. Would that, is that accurate? For running, running's different than biking, though. Well, I, would... I know, but like I like I'm warming up at my runs 20 seconds per mile faster than what I end up racing at, oh. and no, it feels like not. the runs are fun, which is that's like it's so f- different how the pros and the amateurs will will train. Yeah. No, I mean if, like for us, for example, like in a few days we'll do a 50 minute tempo run or whatever, and that will definitely be like at the pace that we end up running in the race. We'll warm up a little slower and cool down a little slower. But it'll but feel super hard. It'll feel crazy right. hard. Like, yeah. how can, how are we possibly going to do this for a whole half marathon yeah. in a race after biking? Yeah, so I'd say that that's a good attitude approach to take into your bike training is maybe you're aiding, aiming for like 180 or 200 for your intervals and you think in your head, I could never hold this for an Ironman. But ultimately, it's just going to like increase your fitness and your power. Yeah. and yeah. Your next race, maybe a ravage will be 175, but definitely don't go out on your training rides and be like, oh, I need to stay under 162 because 160 is my race pace, you know? Right. I would say just aim higher, train harder, don't go crazy. But another thing where like having a coach or some kind of guidance might be helpful. Yeah. But um, that's just my two cents. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next question here. Moving on. Any recommendations on swim goggles that don't kill your eyes? After about 30 minutes of swimming, the goggles start to cause pain around my eyes. Are they mm. too tight? Love the content and look forward to the pod each Thursday. Mm, I, w- I would say goggles, like it's pretty specific for different people. Like go- Paula loves a certain pair of goggles that hurt my eyes. Um, but definitely like trying to get the nose bridge dialed in just right. And then like the actual pressure, sometimes if they're too tight, they'll let in water. And they're it just, you guys got to go through a few pairs of goggles, kind of find ones that um, fit your face. One thing you can do when you're trying them on, if you have the ability to try them on in a store, is try to get them to actually stick on your face, like suction on without a strap on. And if you find a pair that just kind of like suction onto your face, ideal. Get yeah. those ones. Yeah, that's a good good tip. Also, don't feel like you have to look too cool in the pool. Yeah, Comfort that's another is key. thing. Oh, yeah, you do. You, you got to look cool. <laughs> a lot of the time, a lot of the time, the most comfortable goggles, like my mom wears these freaking scuba goggles I'm or whatever. I'm sure those are the ones that I wear. Yeah, I yeah, have big Aquasphere goggles, and I'm so comfortable in them, though. Yeah, I don't know. and the, often the visibility is a little better for open water when they're yeah. really big like that. You won't get the pressure right at your eye sockets. So, Me and yeah, Sheila. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the way to go is to just. You know, it depends. I, like you guys are comfortable <laughs> with the small ones, right? 
totally fair. Well, we but for me, those snack. hurt. Yeah. yeah. I grew up drowning. It was a process. So. Like, even Blue 70 has, like, four different pairs of goggles right. for different preferences, and we had to find the ones that we like. Got it. What kind of goggles does Flynn like since he's he wants to be on the pod? It's very clear. Yeah, Flynn is right in the middle he of He just us. opens his eyes underwater. He doesn't care. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it feels good. I can see everything. Whoa. Um, okay, next question. Hi, gang. We'll be racing Ironman 140.6 California. I don't think I've seen that before. Um, uh, next weekend and had a quick question regarding carrying a bike bag while racing. I was not, I think by bike bag, he means like a saddlebag. Yeah, saddlebag, uh, yeah. yeah. He does. Oh, she, she. Uh, I was not planning on carrying one. Tubes, CO2 cartridges, patches, tire levers due to extra weight on the bike. However, everything that I've read regarding what to pack includes this. Is it necessary? Won't there be on-course mechanics to help if I get a flat? Oh, boy. Uh, any recommendations would be greatly appreciated. Best, Lindsay. I think it's smart to take your own flat repair kit. And it depends if you're running tubeless or tubes or what you're using but if you're using tubes it's for sure smart to take like a tube a co2 and a adapter thingy to put the co2 in um and a tire lever a lever yeah it's not i maybe there's mechanics on course but even as pros like you'll wait like an hour you'll wait like an hour as an injury it's crazy yeah so i would say just have you might even be able to fit it somewhere not in a saddlebag like some bikes now have integrated places where you can like store that extra stuff but yeah if Both not the shiv try and the argon 18 have TT a little, bike. little and my bike and my bike too it. has it the canyon yeah Speedmax stick has it in it. a bento but if if your options are like to put a saddlebag on the back or have nothing i would for sure put something in the saddlebag and also that course is not very hilly so the 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 weight loss from that is not yeah. that great yeah Another option, well, I guess you could get like those two bottle cages for the back of your bike and then have like a bottle with all this stuff in that's it. That's a great, that's a great compromise there. Yeah. yeah. Because then it's like aerodynamically doesn't, it seems like it makes a very small difference if at all, and you still have it with you. Yeah. Well, Eric would say it would make a huge aerodynamic difference. Oh, but... is that true, Eric? Do you, does that, do you feel like it does? Uh, I mean, the closer it's tucked to your saddle, the better. But uh, mm. like for me, if I needed to do that, I would make like I would take electrical tape and, and tape the things that I wanted together, and then like tape them under the saddle, just for, right tucked away. Know. But it's just if you want to deal with that or not. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and our last question, finally. Um, hey, all. First, love the podcast and the YouTube channel. I always look forward to your content. Uh, onto the question. I'm a little bit on the larger side for a novice endurance athlete, six foot seven and 250 pounds. That's in like the 1%. That's like uh, Jordan Bryden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grizzly man. But I still love all things multi sport as it has helped me lose and keep off over 80 pounds. Well done. My question is centered around the bike and how to best maximize the gains I could receive from upgrades. I ride a road bike, an alloy-framed Canyon Endurance, or Endurace. Uh, I just bought it this year, and it's been a great bike. In a sprint triathlon, I can average around 20 miles per hour, so it's capable of some speed, even with a heavier rider. However, alloy is still heavier than carbon, so I'm trying to make the best upgrades to get some more speed. What is the best upgrade where I could see noticeable gains in a sprint-slash-Olympic-distance uh, race? I already have aero bars that I can put on it. So my thoughts are carbon aero wheels, maybe 40 mils or so. Does it make sense to spend that kind of money on an alloy frame bike? And could a wheel upgrade give me the gains I want to see? Thanks for the help, Scotty. I would say like 50% of the emails we get, the questions are like, 
How can I get the fastest equipment with spending the least amount of money? What's worth my money? What's not? Should I get a TT bike? Is my bike too heavy? Like, there's so many equipment questions. It's insane. Yeah, that's the number one number one thing. So like that's I wonder, what I said earlier. Here's my like best bang for the buck, cheapest, fastest arrowist. Yeah, so, it's just funny like, when I see this. Like, this person lost eighty pounds, and like, have they? Scotty, have you thought about how what the weight difference between a carbon bike and an alloy bike is? Because it ain't 80 pounds, you know? It's he's, like, he's yeah. jonesing for a purchase, man. Let's yeah. help a brother I out. I think he wants a carbon bike. <laughs> yeah. His, yeah. His partner listens to <laughs> this podcast and is like, you're not getting a carbon bike. Yeah. I, I would say if at all possible, I mean, it totally depends on what you already have, but if you were to upgrade the wheels, that is definitely going to be a big aero benefit, but trying to get some wheels that could potentially go on the next bike so that you can kind of yeah. like leapfrog your, your upgrades. It, it might not be possible just with like, disc brakes versus not but something to think about yeah i think alloy is not the problem here that's it's it's just usually that car, it seems like triathlon bike frames are very often carbon yeah because of the and shapes heavy. they need to make even yeah, though they're ca- carbon they're just yeah. heavy because like wings are heavy wing yeah. shapes but yeah keep it up i go think go bike goes drop 10 grand on a super sweet bike with carbon yeah. wheels. <laughs> that's right until yeah, Eric sent you. Wants, we're going through like a very a very different uh, thing right now with the van situation. Like Eric wants a four by four van, and all these little upgrades are so inc- like so exponentially more expensive than the thing below it. Which the thing below it's not even that bad. It's just like yeah. it's the same kind of thing with bikes, and it's ultimately how I'm thinking about it is if you have a budget and you can afford it and it's thought out and you want to do the sport for a long time, you're never going to regret getting the better thing. And similar thing with the van. Like if Eric wants this van that's ten grand more than this van in five years, we're not going to remember that it was ten grand more. We're going to appreciate so you're the saying betterness. He should get the van. <laughs> There's a lot of That's factors, I'm but I'm just saying this guy should get the carbon bike is what I'm right. saying. Okay, got <laughs> it, got it, got it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the final closing thought is you do get a lot better deal on all of the things if you get that all together. So like, yes. if you were to buy a carbon frame tomorrow, you'd, you'd spend $5,000 on it or whatever. And if you were to buy the wheels to go with it the next day, you'd spend $3,000 versus you'd probably save 20 to 30% on the whole thing, buying it as a whole unit. Yeah, so. yeah. I agree. Yeah. And then you don't have to go through the headache of getting all the components and the wheels separately and treat yourself. Yeah, treat yourself. Mow some lawns. And Eric, go buy the four by four. Just go buy the four by four. Eric, <laughs> Eric, go now. Go. <laughs> okay, well, there you go, Scotty. Buy the bike. Get the thing. Treat yourself. Worth it. Fulfill your seconds. dreams. <laughs> Fulfill your dreams. And keep the keep the canyon endurance and turn it into like a gravel bike because it's got a lot of clearance and you can just put fat tires on there and Ooh, have fun there with you it. go yeah. yeah yeah totally sometimes it's it's nice to be able to justify the expense of purchase by being like well i'm gonna sell this for a thousand so this one's really only eight thousand not that's, nine thousand you know that's right. how i'm trying to think about with our vans i'm like well if we sell right. this for this this van's really only this much but that's just psychology i love it <laughs> <laughs> it's just like training man whatever games you got to play with yourself right um okay so next week we're gonna do the pod together in one room Amazing. From St. George. I, Nick, I when are you so, getting right? there? When are you getting well, there? Well, I was going to ask you, when should I get there? Monday. Monday? What are we doing on Sunday night? Getting there. Are we do, is the Airbnb available for yeah. us on Sunday night? Okay, sweet. 
So you could get there as early as Sunday night if you yeah. want. Well, I, I don't know if you guys want some time to like for yourself there before I show up and, and take over your lives. What do you think we've been doing for Nick. the past six months <laughs> okay. slash forever? Nick, we've had four years to ourselves. Okay, get got there it, got Sunday. It. Get got there it, Sunday. I'll be there. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Because the closer I, it gets to the race, the less I'm going to want to record the pod, of course. Right. right. Okay, great. Yeah. So we can record it on Monday, just like we do, which like we're doing now. Yeah. That's so crazy to think next Monday we'll be recording the pod from St. George. Yeah. I'm not ready yet. I need more oh, time. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so I'm ready. Oh, by the way, speaking of St. George, I, I, I told you guys I swam with Gustav and Christian last week on Wednesday after we recorded oh, yes. the pod. Yes. And I just had a, yeah, I had a funny anecdote. Um, I'm there, like, I, like, organized a lane for them, and then we went to lunch after and all this stuff. But during the swim, actually, I did swim with them for a bit. And as most of you know, I'm, uh, swimming is my weakest of the three. I'm not, I'm not a professional in any, but swimming is my weakest. And I jump in and I start swimming with them and I'm like, oh, this is like, I, this is like doable. Like I could do this. And I do my first hundred and I look down and it was 118. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I can't do this for more than like, I probably would die in another 30 seconds. I kept this going, but it's funny how much you trick yourself into being like, oh yeah, I could do this. This is no problem. Yeah. Like, just like, I'm sure like riding with you guys, I do the same thing. I'm like, okay, I could do this. And then 20 minutes later, it's like someone call an ambulance because I don't think well, I can move from this spot. <laughs> Nick, that when you told us the story, I was just going to say that is the devil of using a watch in the pool or using like oh, being so glued right. to your, your number feedback is that if you yeah. didn't see that you did a 118 maybe you would have done that for 10 oh, more minutes oh I think that would have caught up with me real quick <laughs> no, real no, quick you'll never know like that's that's. I've had some really good races when my power meter wasn't working because like you can't look down and be like oh my gosh like yep. especially in ITU I, days when you'd look down as you're going up a hill it's like wow 850 watts <laughs> yeah that, like I, my run is gonna suck yeah. <laughs> if you hadn't yeah. looked maybe you totally. would have been okay yeah totally. sometimes all these data questions and power questions and percentage of your heart like, rate nope, go sometimes out sometimes you just got a race yeah yeah yeah, yeah wow. cool everyone you can ask your questions at that triathlon life.com slash podcast yeah i love it when you say that it's so professional it is where we we finally I made it, it guys yeah thank you guys thank you all the listeners for getting us here because when we started this it was like uh send it to this gmail yeah. that we set up uh <laughs> someone we will were, find we, it we were just like we facetime anyway we might as well make a podcast and now it's a real thing yeah and it's we, a real like, thing we've got subscribers yeah. and it's great it's yeah so fun. it's really cool people actually listen and if you're in saint george come say hi to us but don't talk to us for too long because we're gonna be super focused no just kidding um okay well hopefully see some of you guys uh next week at saint george there will be another pod out before the actual race yeah for sure um, but we're looking forward to it I will say that there's there's a probably a ninety percent chance that I will be bringing some of our new <gasps> camper technical Ooh, camper hats. Yeah, that are fantastic. That'll be fun. Maybe Very we'll set nice. up a pop up in our garage or something. We'll oh, see. We'll yeah, see. so then everyone knows where we live. Great. At the very yeah, that. yeah, absolute true. very least, we'll have a little bit of a pop up or some sort of thing like the day after. Got it. Got in it. some way. Yeah, Got yeah, it. yeah. That's great. Cool. That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks you guys. Thanks for listening and thanks for making this a thing. And we will talk to you guys next week. Later. Ciao, guys. Ciao.